Alright folks, happy February. Again, I am taping in the tail end of a weather event where I am watching the fluffiest, lightest flakes just settle down here in Rochester, New York in front of our studio. Um, we're not, well, this is a little foreshadowing. We're going to be moving into a new studio soon. And the one thing I am going to miss, and I'm going to have to figure out how to do, is the big front picture window. I don't know how we're going to put that in the new studio. I don't think it's going to happen. But the big picture window here is one of my favorites. Uh, I'm looking across always at this house that has a like a North Star above its garage door. Um, and right now, today, it is filled with snow. So I can see the bottom half of the star. Uh, it almost looks like a person's body. And the top half of the star is covered by snow. It's actually pretty cool. Um, so enough about snow. We had a big snow ski talk and part one of, of our chat with Mr. Jacob Fox, who's with us for part two. So Jacob, thank you for continuing this conversation. Yeah, for sure. So we learned in part one from Jacob so many things. Uh, we learned about a firecracker that has nothing to do with uh, any kind of guns or ammunition or anything of that nonsense. This man uh, played soccer in Texas, uh, Kansas City, Missouri High School. He's a soccer player. He is a skier. I think I've talked him into coming to Tuckerman's Ravine with me, which I'm really excited about. Uh, so now at the end of part one, for all you good listeners that definitely chimed in. Uh, you know, we talked about his cannabis a little bit at the end, uh, and that's a little bit with the firecracker. Uh, so I want to pick up on that. And I want to talk a little bit about his family uh, as we talk about this cannabis plant. So, so Jacob, first of all, um, thank you very much. And tell me a little bit about your parents. Uh, you told me you have an older brother uh, and your parents have been out West. So are they like tree huggers? What do you got? No, it's uh, kind of, there, my mom is, uh, she worked in the finance industry for years and retired about three years ago. Um, and she's, she's from South Texas and she's a great, uh, really one of my, one of my idols and, uh, incredible lady. And she's retired and now she just bought a farm in uh, Gallatin Gateway, Montana, which is halfway between Big Sky and Bozeman. And she's going to start growing crops and I'm trying to, you know, convince her to grow some cannabis plants, but you know, I'll probably have to run that operation myself. <laughs> okay. So and, I've uh, actually, t I've actually taken a trip out to big sky with my son and driven from Bozeman uh -huh. to big sky. So yep. is it like just before you get into that wedge of that Valley where their farm is? It's, um, 10, 10 miles before that. Um, it's just down the road. I mean, maybe not even 10, maybe five miles before that it's right near it's, uh, there's, it's basically, there's this old historic in there, uh, that people used to stay at right before they would go into that basically, you know, V in the mountains, they would eventually take you to big sky and then Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. It's right there. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, and then my dad, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's out there as well. And, um, my mom's more, of, more of the, uh, farmer, but he's, he's really excited to drive on a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your mom went from being a financer to a farmer. Now, now was your mom brought yeah. up as a, on a farm? Is that why she, yeah. 
Or is this something that just in, came out? In in the in the hill country of Texas. Um so the not, hill country. I mean her parents were yeah. <laughs> her parents weren't farmers, but uh definitely grew up around ranching and agriculture. Excellent. Now your dad, what what did he do for a living? Uh he's he's done commercial real estate for about my whole life, but he uh he he also raised me very much. He was like a stay at home dad for a lot of my childhood and uh but he's also done commercial real estate like you know that you know how that business goes yeah one one good deal can get you for a while cover you yeah exactly that's actually pretty cool though and and was he the ski bummer was she or were they both no she is he he uh he snowboards but um barely anymore uh and she crushes it i mean she right now is um probably skiing 20 or so fresh inches at Bridger and uh, she, she does teaching as well for kids with um, disabilities and, uh, and just crushes it. She's just skiing probably three times a week now. Rough life. Yeah. Does she have a beacon? Does she go up the beacon lift at Bridger? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. She got a beacon and I used it the other day. Um, and then I was like, all right, we need a few beacons so we can go together. So we bought another beacon. <laughs> Perfect. So mom is the catalyst of this whole thing. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, but although my dad, he, he did set it all up because we were going to Colorado for forever and we loved it. Um, but my dad is a big fisherman. Um, he likes fly fishing. And so he went on some fly fishing trip up in Montana and he goes, you guys got to come to Montana. And so we all went on a family trip there and agreed to sell the place in Colorado and move to Montana. <laughs> oh, you got some cool parents, man. Yeah, they're great. So we talked, uh, we talked before a little bit, uh, about you, you came then to the East coast basically for, for soccer and academic school. So you settled in Geneva mm-hmm. at Hobart, uh, which I love that area, William Smith Hobart. Um, so now my question to you is what academically brought you here? Yeah, I mean, I I studied public policy um, at at Hobart, and uh, but it it didn't really relate to like soil or agriculture or things that I'm involved with now. But I I, I studied environmental public policy, and I kind of recognized that there was a lot of um, there was a lot of problems in our industries that was causing environmental pollution and problems. And you know, I've always been entrepreneurial minded. And so, um, you know, I saw, you know, a lot of that environmental pollution is, you know, depressing, obviously, but I also saw it as an opportunity. And I, I, I was always thinking in my head, you know, if I could, uh, you know, start a business, you know, if soccer didn't work out, you know, professionally, or, you know, I always have wanted to start a business. And so I kind of was keeping my eye open to a lot of these, this environmental work. And, um, I actually just, I, it, it kind of happened by chance that I, um, I met a gentleman in the area who had a vermicomposting facility. And so he, he, uh, introduced me to that and, uh, and the, what basically vermicomposting is and what it can do. Um, uh, and I created a business out of, uh, with, with that gentleman and with a few other people, um, with the idea that, um, a lot more people need their food waste and yard waste and paper and cardboard waste management utilized better at the same time we also need soil so um it all kind of happened by 
chance, but also uh, there was a lot of things that kind of led up to it. And you said, what year did you graduate from school? 2016. And what was the degree? Uh, public policy. Was there internships involved? Tell, tell me a little bit about the the school, because I know this is a very good school. Tell me a little about the structure of it, like how you gained your experiences while you were there. Yeah, it's very much a liberal arts school, so you're uh, I'd, I'd say you're 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 there to learn how to learn um, rather than to specialize in any one thing particularly. So I took a you know classes in the economics department. I took classes in philosophy and sociology and policy and science and all different types of things. And so I got, you know, to see a bunch of different perspectives, which I think plays in really well to an entrepreneurial uh, mind, but they've, they've since actually I've graduated, they've actually started an entrepreneurial degree. And so they've definitely realized that um, something that I think, you know, a lot of people have realized. Uh, and so it's an, really an incredible institution that, um, you know, gives you this kind of well-rounded um, background. I like it. It's, it's similar to uh, what I learned going through a journalism degree at Morrisville, my communication degree at Oswego, um, where mm. I was more, I, I was learning how to research and how to write, how to express myself. But really, a lot of piece of it was the who, what, where, when, how, and, and getting all the information, how to get it right. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, most of what I've learned uh, that relates to my job currently is I've had to learn afterwards, but I've, you know, had those skills, you know, on how to, you know, learn and research. What, uh, so you said learning public policy, you saw a lot of things in the industry that was causing issues. Tell me some of the things that drew your interest that you're like, you know, that doesn't make sense or, or, or some of the things you're talking about, the challenges for people that don't understand agriculture. We've had Zach Sarkis on before, and I know you know Zach. Um, he, mm-hmm. He's so pag- passionate about agriculture and, and how it needs to be improved on this whole planet to help, you know, hu- hu- human beings in general. Um, what, what's your thought on what you saw as problems? Yeah, I mean the the waste of you know the our waste of materials, our waste of raw materials, uh, both nutrients as well as once we make products, we you know we only send you know forty percent uh, or you know we throw away forty percent of materials that get produced because you know they either don't look good or um, you know various supply chain issues, and so um, you know that is always a frustrating thing to me because. You know, I'm not. I, I'm not a perfectionist. I don't. I. You know, I. I clear. I flew to Montana and back. So you know, I'm. I'm clearly supportive of fossil fuels. You know, I'm. You know, I'm driving. You know, back and forth to Rochester. So you know, I'm not a perfect person. But you know, I just get really disheartened and angry when when there's waste. You know, it's like it's like okay. You know, I agree that we all need you know fossil fuels right now to get around, but we don't need you know everything to be packaged in plastic. You know, plastic is a subsidy to the fossil fuel industry you know we you know we might need you know some um you know some of these really intense chemicals you know to fight fires and uh you know uh, like other other you know industrial applications but you know we don't need to spray it everywhere and we don't need to sell it as commercial products you know on amazon and so you know i just i i see that there's this kind of runaway train as far as like it doesn't cost right now to pollute the environment um and in some cases it's actually subsidized to pollute the environment so i'm really interested in kind of a slogan that i call you know cut cut out you know cut the waste or you know cut the stupidity out 
of, of, you know, let's just stop, you know, you know, blatantly wasting things. And once we get to that point, then we can consider, you know, how do we, you know, run a society that actually regenerates and sustains. Um, but right now it's, you know, the, unfortunately the sustainability argument is, is going alongside with, you know, the, I mean, rapid waste uh, consumption thing, but I don't, I, mean, I don't inevitably think that consumption is bad, but I think that, you know, um, like for example, my business closed loop systems were all about building circular economies and in a circular economy, consumption is actually a good thing. You know, if it's a, if it's a regional supply chain that, you know, has, you know, carbon negative agriculture, um, you know, it, it's, you can actually waste food, um, and and so I'm really interested in getting to that point that we have circular economies. Um, and so you know that I'm, I'm I saw that we have linear economies <laughs> as kind of a wrap up. Like I saw that we had linear economies. We're just you know extracting materials and then we're just you know dumping them in a landfill somewhere. And I saw the opportunity to create circular economies. I love the way you put that. Because that's really what we need to do. And plastics uh, are directly against that. They don't, they well, don't we have bioplastics, you know, is like the crazy thing is that there, there are these materials currently exist that are biodegradable and have the same properties as plastic. But the problem is, is that they're slightly either more expensive or it's harder to find them. And, and so it's like, it's not like we need to invent anything new. We just need to, you know, purchase those materials and support those industries. But the, the key thing, though, that, that, that makes everyone understand the plastic debacle that we're going through is plastic is made from the waste process from from fossil fuel extraction. So, you know, at that point, you know, the company who extracts the fossil fuels, you know, they either have to, you know, you know, run and operate a landfill to put that waste material in, or they can create plastic out of it and sell that waste material to all of us. And then we have to deal with the environmental consequences of it. And it's like within that, you know, system, it's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense then. So you've started closed loop systems, right? That's your company? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. You spelled out very clearly what you're looking to do. What's the biggest challenges you're finding to actually accomplish it? I mean, uh, my biggest challenge at the moment is 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 actually building infrastructure. And um, you know, there's money out there in grants, and there's financing out there available, but um, the wheels turn slowly when it comes to making infrastructure, which is, you know, a good thing when, it, you know, I mean, we don't want to just be, you know, building roads and other things and, you know, them not, you know, being up to spec and code, but this kind of infrastructure, as far as, you know, alternatives to landfills, we need direly, um, you know, so a lot of these communities who are kind of, you know, sitting around and waiting um, that I've been talking to. So, I mean, basically I've been going around and, and we're now, um, we're going to be constructing two municipal facilities in 2020. One's in Geneva, New York, and one's in Cortland, New York. And uh, it's going to be uh, organic waste management for those municipalities. 
And there it's incredible that we've, you know, gotten those projects uh, going. And we talked to a lot of other communities and, you know, and they say, oh, you know, we'll wait or, you know, we're not thinking about that right now. And um, my frustration is like, well, you know, technically New York state has passed a law banning organics from landfills. Um, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not all, uh, it's not all encompassing the, the law. And so, um, it's going to take a little bit to implement the desired outcome of that law. Uh, and so, you know, people really need to be, um, really, really trying to get the organics out of the landfill for two reasons. First of all, it, that's where the smells come from in landfills. No one likes the smells. And two, that's our best chance to replenish our soil. Like we don't have a lot of ways to create soil. Um, and we've destroyed a lot of it. And organic waste is one of the best ways to replenish our soil. Those That's interesting. So whew, organics, define that and, and tell me a little bit more about the law that New York State passed and where could people go to, to get this information? Yeah, um, organics is the term for biodegradable waste. So anything that biodegrades um, is, is, is categorized as organics. And um, basically that's mostly food waste um, and then yard waste so leaves and and those types of you know wood chipping materials sawdust um and then uh paper and cardboard is is also kind of a lot of people think that paper recycling is is a good thing but it's paper recycling is not actually good i actually advocate for paper and cardboard to go into the compost um so basically if you think about the organics waste stream is Food waste, paper, cardboard, and yard waste. That's about 54% of the waste stream. Um, and that is really what we're looking at as, as, as this organics market. And then New York State basically passed a New York State organics law that says that anyone who produces two tons of organics waste per week um, is required to divert it from a landfill. And so basically they have to you know, give it to a composter. Um, that law passed this year and it's gonna, it's, it's not going to be implemented until I believe 2022. So there's a little bit of leeway and also like the, I mean, my, uh, comments on it is that two tons per week is, is, a, is an incredible, I mean, that's literally 4,000 pounds know, that's, of food, yeah, that's food exactly, waste. Yeah. That's, so that's the next and thing so, I was going to tell you is that yeah. how many people really qualify under that? It's only like very large schools and like hospitals and like food processors, but there's exemptions actually for schools and hospitals. So it's kind of, it's kind of weak. Um, but I mean, it's a start though, is kind of the way that I see it. It's a start of a conversation. Exactly. How does New York stack, stack up? Well, first of all, is there a place where people can go to look up this information before I go off on the next question? Do you know oh, for the New York State Organics Law? Yeah, yeah. Like, like it, for someone who ha- is running a company or whatever, and they're looking to find out this information, or just in general, do you know? Is there a yeah. website or something you could they could? Yeah, Google New York State Organics Law. It's it's in all it's in the news a lot recently, um, and there's been like listening sessions, and there's a lot of information on the New York State Organics Law. Interesting. So, so it's a it's a start. It starts the conversation, but it's almost just like it's a a, a smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 
I mean, I'm real. That's you know what I studied actually is policy. So that I kind of have. Uh, I, I'm really fascinated by you know the impacts of policy, and I was really advocating for this policy. Um, I was advocating for probably one ton per week, and uh, with like a tiered scale to eventually come down to restaurants, like. I I get food waste from a lot of restaurants and, you know, a hundred, 200 pounds per week. Um, if, if for anything, I'm not interested in punishing people, but I really want people to understand that we're in a soil crisis. And if you throw away 200 pounds of food waste in the landfill, you're creating a greenhouse gas problem, but that 200 pounds could be used to replenish an acre of degraded soil. Um, so, you know, the, the opportunity costs are, are, can be, can be quite high. All right. So the next thing I'm thinking is how do you make this waste stream efficient for people to, to make this work at first society? Yeah. So that's what, I mean, that's what our business is. We're going to be, we're going to build decentralized, uh, waste management facilities that are going to be as close to the source as possible. And we're going to incentivize people both uh, financially and time-wise, you know, that they should, you know, dump their material with us. And, uh, and if they can do that, then, I mean, already we can recycle or compost like 90% of our waste material but we're landfilling like 80% of it. So there's a huge opportunity to just, if built the right infrastructure to quickly get, you know, a, you know, 60, 70% of material out of the waste stream tomorrow. Um, and then we can start, you know, figuring out, you know, how to innovate away, you know, that last, you know, 10 to 15% if we haven't done that already. Um, so I'm interested in building, you know, these, waste management systems as close to the source of the waste as possible. So tell me a little bit of the idea with your building. So I'm seeing the numbers here. So we can recycle 90% of the waste, but landfills still house 80% of it. Why is that the answer? Landfills? Like, why is that currently the answer? It's just easier for everybody to put it into their dumpster and the dumpster goes to the landfill. Is it it really that simple of an answer why that's happening? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, the ease in in two different ways. The ease of, you know, I mean, it is helpful that you can just, you know, sign one check and, you know, pay one bill. And this one company comes and picks up all of your, you know, waste material and takes it away and you don't have to worry about it. Um, and the ease of doing something the way that it's been done for a long time. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's very easy for people to fall into that. But what those companies have done is they've jacked up the prices um, significantly that, you know, you're actually being, you know, robbed. And so, uh, you know, I'm interested in coming in to that equation and saying, hey, you know, you clearly have a problem here. Everyone produces waste. I'm not, I don't believe that we're not going to produce any waste, but it's like, what do we do with that waste material? Um, and, and how do we manage it so that we don't create 
any pollution and so that if we do recycle these raw materials, which have value, that the people who who use them and produce them can benefit off of it. Because that's another thing. It's like right now, you know, someone's hauling away your waste material into some, you know, rural area and dumping it in a landfill. Um, but you know, they are also able to capitalize on any value out of that waste. Now, many of now landfills aren't doing that a lot of times, but I mean, that's a, a truth is that, I mean, you know, let's just think about, you know, keyboards for computers have, you know, gold in them. So if, you know, someone takes away a bunch of, uh, you know, your keyboards and throws them in a landfill, you know, they're literally throwing away gold. And, on the same way for organic waste, like I think organic waste is, you know, black gold, you know, it's future, you know, healthy soil. And so every time a load of material, you know, goes to a landfill, it's it's like throwing away gold. All right. So now I'm envisioning the recycling center here, city one of those city roster recycling centers. It's just a big mm-hmm. building. It looks way smaller than what it should be for what it does. And they have what machines in there that kind of separate out the recycling and that's what you're talking about building and but you're really looking in your facilities to have some of the stuff separated getting to you correct yeah so yeah that that you know a lot of those big recycling facilities that you're referring to have some pretty intense machines that do that separation on the back end i'm more interested in designing it so that it gets really well sorted on the front end that's what I was thinking, because otherwise you're talking about just a lot of costs and nothing different than, than what uh, current yeah. municipalities have. You're looking to supplement or offset what municipalities, excuse me, already have in place. Exactly. Like, yeah, if your little neighborhood, you know, had your own little transversation, which, you know, took it to a large, you know, took it to a, you know, your local, you know, system, then, you know, that would work much better for the consumer rather than, uh, you know, it's it's about hedging. You know, what does the consumer want? You know, the consumer wants a seamless, you know, cost-effective way to get rid of their material. And then what does the, you know, waste manager want? You know, we want, you know, the material to be, you know, separated well so that our costs are not significant. And also, um, you know, so that, you know, it can be picked up and aggregated in a way that's cost-effective as well. And then it's what does the community want? You know, the community wants this material managed and not, you know, polluting the environment. And also, um, you know, if there's value to be, you know, extracted out of that material, um, that's one thing that we just need to be thinking about, you know, so much is we're, we're at peak so many resources, like we're at peak sand, we're at peak phosphorus, which, you know, peak oil, you know, we have a lot of these, you know, uh, you know, non-renewable materials, you know, that we've mined to the point that we're, you know, at a, at a tipping point. And so, you know, our waste materials, you know, like, for example, the glass, you know, glass can be made into sand and we really need to, you know, conserve our sand currently uh, because it's such a big input for making cement. And you know, currently what's happening is, and it's a certain type of sand uh, that we're running out of and uh, we need to, you know, hold on to that glass so that, you know, people don't, you know, buy up land in some, you know, Caribbean island and then mine some beach and, you know, it becomes a very dangerously extractive process. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, there's other things like uh, helium is something that people don't realize. 
that's the shortage. There's just all these resources that eventually we're going to run out of, especially as our population keeps growing. Like mm-hmm. there's an un, there's an unsustainability just to the population versus waste versus resources. Exactly. So it's like, you know, how do we maximize the value out of these non-renewable resources while we still can? And we how do we, you know, alter, you know, change to, you know, more renewable resources that, you know, potentially I mean, I'm really fascinated in the term regeneration rather than sustainability, because, you know, if we sustain, you know, the where we're currently at, we're you know, we're done. But that's why we need to be thinking about, you know, regeneration, you know, so that our actions are actually making us better. How do those conversations go with those municipalities and and, and how how is the partnership going to go moving forward? Good. I mean, it, it really depends, you know, on, on uh, I mean, there's kind of two camps that people are generally thinking about this. I mean, they're thinking about it from a financial uh, picture. And I mean, we can show them a pretty good financial picture as far as cost savings on tipping fees and cost savings as far as you know, now you don't have to purchase landscaping materials. You know, if we, you know, created this soil out of this waste product, you know, local, you know, locally. Um, so there's a really strong, you know, uh, financial picture that we really like to lead with. Um, but, you know, if uh, there's also, you know, a very strong conversation about, you know, environmental stewardship and, uh, and you know, as that relates, you know, socially and culturally, but also, uh, you know, in the laws, if, if those laws are reflecting, um, you know, the intentions of, you know, our, our state and localities. So we talked about, what is this, trenching? Uh, like, like, tell me a little bit about um, the trenching worm casings. You're looking for maybe biomass waste. Tell me a little bit how maybe cannabis plays into this whole recycling thing. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, basically we are, are the organics recyclers. We're interested in, you know, cycling all organics in order to make soil products. Um, and there's a, um, a really good relationship between you know what you put in and what you get out so you know just like you are what you eat um you know whatever you make the soil out of you know if you make it out of you know things that have particular nutrients or um that certain microorganisms like you can create a product that's valuable um for that industry so um when we're thinking about cannabis First of all, we're thinking about it from a sustainability issue. You know, there's a lot of indoor grows going on. You know, a lot of people are extracting, you know, just the buds and they're not considering the biomass. Um, You know, and even if they are considering the biomass, there is some sort of waste. And it's usually, you know, being handled in a lot of these more urban areas. And uh, so, it's you know, being mixed in with, you know, the landfill waste. So we want to, you know, obviously divert any organics uh, that we can but with cannabis specifically, the idea, though, is that, you know, creating soil products out of the cannabis and then, you know, marketing them back to, you know, the cannabis growers or, um, you know, the other people in the supply chain and trying to create those closed loop systems. Um, and so it's like, you know, we want to be, you know, a part of every uh, you know, farmer extractor relationship, um, you know, will be on the back end of that, you know, uh, you know, taking the material from the extractor and then, you know, selling it back or working with the farmer, you know, however um, the business relationship needs to happen. Um, and, and that's, we just want to make sure that, 
uh, you know, the, the carbon materials, which is the biomass waste is, is maximized, um, for its value and which we know is very high. So with the, uh, like, for instance, uh, I've heard there's farmers down near you in Seneca, uh, army depot down that area. And they're selling mm-hmm. to, they're growing hemp there, uh, some of the Amish, I believe, and selling down to Kentucky. So it, my knowledge of the biomass is limited, but generally speaking, they must be shucking at that kind of stuff. Is that the type of waste you're looking for as well? Are you looking for stems? Are you looking for like fan leaves that are being pulled off of plants when the biomass is being sent to processors? Any of it. I'll take any of it. Anything that you don't want that is from that plant, We'll take it. So how do some of the 400 permit holder farmers in the state find you? Give, give some information for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, my, my email is a great way. Jacob at closedloopsys.com. Our, our, our website, closedloopsys.com, is, uh, is really where we, uh, you know, like that to be our headquarters. I'm, I'm pretty active on Facebook from Closed Loop Systems. And, uh, you know, we're, we're really, uh, you know, looking to, um, you know, work with folks to, to, you know, manage the materials and to, you know, help them figure out, um, I mean, ideally if, if they're a big enough grower, uh, you know, we can help set up a system, you know, on site for them or as close to the site as possible, um, is, is really what we're always striving to do. Yeah, I love the Facebook page, Closed Loop Systems Renewable Waste Solutions, correct? Is that right? Yep. Excellent. Um, all right, so let's get now we back on the cannabis plant again. Uh, have your parents been supportive of the, of the cannabis plant? When did you introduce yourself to the cannabis plant, and how did it happen? <laughs> uh, yeah, get into the know, good stuff, brother. Come on, you know I was going to dig this yeah, eventually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, high school was, 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 you know, when I started getting into the cannabis plant. And honestly, I mean, I've, I'm not, you know, I'm really not embarrassed to say that I believe that it's helped me personally. Um, I, you know, being an athlete, I was, uh, you know, I, you know, pretty, you know, pretty intense, you know, I, and especially I, I've always been an athlete, like as, as even from, you know, first grade on, and, uh, you know, that, that came with a certain level of intensity, which, you know, as I started to get older, you know, I was, uh, you know, you don't need to be so intense, you know, when you're a kid, it's fine. And so I, you know, I started consuming cannabis. I started, you know, figuring that it kind of, uh, you know, made me less intense and made me a little bit more relaxed as a person, which, you know, kind of plays into, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm self-diagnosed, you know, kind of you know, some attention deficit disorder, you know, kind of stuff and cannabis, you know, help kind of played into, you know, help to eat, helping to ease that, you know, mental, um, you know, whether, you know, hyperactivity or, or whatever, it, whatever it is. And so that's, you know, kind of what, what drew me to it initially. And, uh, I really started, I started consuming it with my, with my soccer friends and who are all just like incredible students and soccer players. And so it's not like I was, 
consuming with degenerates or anything. So uh, I know, it's funny. It's like I, you're smoking joints outside the front, you know, <laughs> doors of high school, but yet yeah. you're painting another picture for people. And, and I want you to keep expounding on it is that you guys were, were well adjusted. You and your boys all probably just graduated college and are, are on to different careers. And, and you kind of recognize that alcohol wasn't the way to go, but no blackouts and that nonsense. You guys just smoked some weed to help. And you guys found it probably helped you guys play. That's exactly. I mean, you know, like if you drink, you know, I mean, if you're drinking, you feel bad the next day. If you're, if you're, you know, smoking, you're feeling good the next day. And, you know, if you got a game the next day, then, you know, it's that much difference. And I mean, you know, the, the stresses of, you know, playing a, playing a team sport are, are pretty, you know, you need those outlets, you know, to, to, you know, build team chemistry and alcohol can be pretty, uh, explosive and uh, and and cannabis is really great. So I've always had really good soccer cannabis team experiences. That I've always it's always really been a positive and uh, and 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 you know kind of building that uh, you know relate you know hey you know I'm sorry I yelled at you during practice you know I was you know I was being kind of crazy <laughs> so and you know you might not say that you know you know maybe if you're drinking or you know even if you're you know just a normal person you know people don't share their emotions as much <laughs> that's a good point I've never touched on that subject before but but yeah cannabis usage generally speaking will get you a little more level and I totally agree with you um, cannabis versus non-cannabis I could definitely be a wound up mother pupper um, uh, without my cannabis usage and ADHD mentioned now are you an Aries as well I mean you were born in March right I'm Pisces oh, you're Pisces oh sorry yeah that's alright but you ran the edge of that Aries because I'm the 24th so I'm an Aries I'm ran that cutoff line uh, and my son was nice. born the 16th so so him and I got that that's my birthday oh it Sweet. is oh. 16th yeah I love it just another uh, see folks life there's reason why people come together, man. This is there's no irony here, man. This is this is good stuff. So so the cannabis usage thing. Now, have your parents always been supportive, or did they know? Did you have to hide it from them, or did you smoke joints with your mom? No, it's a working it's a working uh, relationship. Uh, they, <laughs> I mean, they they're incredible. I mean, they're my parents are some of my best friends, and uh, but you know, it's tough to be like, you know, after after years of hiding consumption to then you know open it up open up to them and uh and especially still i mean the the problem is is that you know it it still is so much of a black market and so you know you're not able to order something at a restaurant so you know if you're you know if you're the way that you're procuring it is you know inherently sketchy you know the way that you're consuming it you know is you know, inherently, you know, going to be the, the, you know, the most, I mean, I've, I've figured out, I really don't like smoking. Like in, I don't, I mean, I, I like, I'll, um, you know, I have smoked plenty, but, um, I don't like the inhaling smoke. And so I really like the edible game and, you know, it's not always, you know, it's not always that easy to, you know, procure the cannabis, you know, procure the edible materials, you know, make an edible, you know, in a kitchen that, you know, that, you know, someone's not going to be, you know, getting mad that, you, you know, the oven smells a yeah, little bit. Yeah, that you're stinking um, up the place a little bit. Yeah, but you yeah, are, but and, you and, are, contr- this is funny though, because this is great because <laughs> this is your science you've kind of done yourself to understand what your body needs instead of what you're, you're not just taking anything like, oh, oh I, got, I got gummies. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm going to take these because you, they're the only things you could get. You're actually making things that your body reacts well to. 
I'm very much, I mean, that's my game. Like I'm, I don't like to do things that my body doesn't like. So I'm trying to optimize that. And, and it makes it difficult that, you know, I go to, you know, some other state or, you know, I mean, in New York state, it's still, you know, not even legal. And so I have to, you know, struggle and, and then, you know, you have to buy, you know, whatever, you know, you can find. And so, you know, everything just becomes difficult. And so, you know, as it becomes, you know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, be, you know, kind of open up, you know, come, you know, coming out of some sort as a, as a cannabis user, as, as I think a lot of us are, you know, who are coming into, you know, this now more accepting world. It's like, all right, how do we, you know, first of all, grapple with, you know, been doing this for a while and, you know, sorry, I didn't tell you, but also, you know, you know, somehow getting them to, I mean, I, I truthfully, like, I think cannabis is more akin to coffee than it is to alcohol. But, you know, there's a lot of people who think it's more akin to alcohol. And so, you know, how does that make, you know, me feel as a cannabis consumer who really, like, tries to protect my body and all these things? And, you know, someone is thinking that I'm an alcoholic or something. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a really difficult, and I mean, my parents are incredible people and they're very smart and, you know, working through this, you know, with me, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not a straight road. It never is, uh, when education is a piece of it. And when people think, um, that a lot of people are taught a lot of things about this plant that are turning out to be very false. Um, and mm-hmm. it's tough when you have, especially the baby boomer generation, Um, If they didn't go to Woodstock, I found the other half of that generation is so adamantly against it. It's like, it's really crazy, that generation. Yeah, it's for sure. And I mean, there's so much, you know, that propaganda, you know, has done to people. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, that's a whole nother fascinating, you know, conversation and, and, and kind of where uh, I I originally started from, I wrote this paper in, in high school about, about why cannabis was illegal and i was just like what like it was just the craziest story and i mean i mean it kind of you know opened my eyes up to um you know the how people in power can do crazy things you know how everything's not the way that you think it is you know that i mean you know it it really was a jumping off point for a lot of really interesting knowledge seeking that's funny because that's what it is. It's questioning how things happen. And it's funny. Then you went to went to school for public policy. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you carried <laughs> it over. It's not like you just learned it, dropped it, and then forgot it, and then lived the for rest of your sure. Life. I'm I've, I never forget. I was like 1937. They passed this marijuana tax act mm-hmm. because this crazy guy Paul Anslinger, you know, <laughs> said some crazy stuff. You know, William Randolph Hearst, you know, had a lobby on the lumber industry, and you know, all of the, it was just like a That's few right. dudes who just like decided that they didn't want this plant to be around and they wanted to kick out some Mexicans and some jazz playing people. That's right. You know? Oh my gosh, and, it's and, all that in one. That's right. And it, it's cotton, <laughs> cotton yeah. plays into it, tobacco plays into it. Yeah. And I read that. I was just like, I wrote this 15-page paper. I was like, I couldn't believe, I, I was like, I cannot believe. I grew up thinking that, you know, all laws were great. And, you know, I mean, I mean, that's a fast, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, reading Texas textbooks, you know, the way oh, that gosh. they talk about the Civil War and, you know, the way they talk about, you know, a lot of different. I mean, I, I went to a very progressive school and, you know, had a great education, but um, 
you know, there's definitely, I mean, I, I was definitely told a lot that the civil war was, you know, states rights and not, you know, a fight over slavery. And so it's like, you know, you think all of that matters, you know, the way that people learn about those things. And so, you know, the fact that, you know, a law, you know, can be written by a few people doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good one or that it has good consequences. And so, it all, you know, it all kind of uh, policy is incredibly important is kind of the theme of my life up to this point. And we need more advocates like that. You're exactly right. Um, so what's some advice? You've painted a great picture of being an athlete. You're an entrepreneur. Uh, you you see the big picture of waste. Uh, so, so I want to get some advice from you to give to other people as we close out. Uh, first of all, h- how can they help with the waste situation? Because I think that's the most critical. Uh, you know, how, how can they help you and your company? Cause you're obviously you're down in Geneva and Cortland. So let's, pre- let's, let's take this from people living down near your facilities. How can they help, mm-hmm. you know, and get involved with you and, and really create a situation at their house that they can separate this stuff. Right? Cause there's actually some people out in your area probably already that throw this stuff away and put it in their compost pile. Right. So we're talking about yeah. kind of compost piles for, for those of you who have a compost pile, all the stuff he's talked about is waste kind of used to go into people's compost pile as a normal thing. Yeah. Well, so we, we do, we work with the whole thing. So basically people can engage with us by purchasing soil and liquid fertilizer. That's what we make from our local organic waste. And so, you know, the more that we can sell, the more that we can take in. So that's like a really low hanging fruit way that people can, uh, you know, help support what we do. And then we actually also, we do a backyard composting program where if someone's interested in getting into composting, usually there's a barrier between, you know, them wanting to do it and them actually doing it. So we actually provide like the backyard compost box. We we provide uh, some compost accelerator and we also provide education materials. So we do that as a service actually in Ontario County. Um, and, and we've done about uh, 300 boxes around Ontario County. And then uh, we work a little step up. Then we like to work with the municipalities. So, you know, if anyone is uh, interested, you know, to, you know, contact their municipal leader and, and ask them, you know, if they're interested in an organics recycling facility, um, we're going around the Finger Lakes talking with all these different municipalities, you know, telling them that they should have one. So if they have, you know, their constituents coming to tell them that they want one, then, you know, that will really help. And, uh, and the ball's really were, you know, rolling on that. Um, there's a lot of people who are speaking with their local um, representatives and saying, listen, we want a compost facility. Like, we don't want these landfills anymore. And uh, so that's been, you know, incredible for us. Um, and, you know, then, uh, you know, kind of as like a really macro um, thing, you know, just, you know, support uh, farms and, and support food that comes from places that use healthy soil practices like um no one i mean not no one very few people understand that we're in a soil crisis right now um we've you know we've tilled and sprayed and paved uh you know an incredible amount of soil and uh and we really need to replenish it and there's some great farmers out there doing good work but uh you know, people need to purchase that and, you know, learn about what healthy soil actually is. Amen. A soil crisis. It's a, it's a reoccurring theme everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, 
advice. You are a serious athlete. Uh, you've kind of skirted things, but I'm going to remind people what you said and may, they, might, they might not have picked up on. You're a serious soccer player. You went over to Germany, tried out for some travel teams. You play here for the Lancers but here and there. You train with the elite wherever you are. Um, but yeah, you use cannabis. So explain to people a little bit about advice on maybe if they've never done it before, a little seg- small segue into uh, maybe seeing how it can help them. And then we'll close it up, bud. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, I mean, I'm at this point, I'm edibles over, over smoking. Uh, but I mean, I've, I've, you know, taken plenty of, you know, smoking hits and then gone on a run or gone to exercise. But the thing that I find that, that differentiates, you know, my cannabis, um, relationship with athletics is it, it helps you hone your skills. So I wouldn't suggest like if you're just getting into doing cannabis to and 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 relating to athlete athletics to consume cannabis and then go do your most intense thing like your most intense athletic activity i'd say consume it and do it before the thing that you're more artful about so something that you're you know you're working on your form you know or maybe yoga is like you know kind of more in that realm or even like me as a soccer player if i consume cannabis i'm much more likely to work on my touch and then if i don't consume cannabis i'm much more likely to you know you know run you know suicides or you know work on my cardio i mean at this point i'll kind of do it for both or either and uh but I really find that the cannabis helps honing your skill and your art. Very good advice. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you were excited to be on. I, I hope it was everything you were hoping because the information you provided today was great. It's, it's reiterated several themes of this podcast, uh, and I appreciate you. I, I look forward to talking to you about Tuckerman's, and I look forward to having you on again. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. All right, everybody, that was Jacob Fox. Texas originally, Geneva now, and he is trying to change the culture of waste. Make sure you look up his business, closedloopsystems.com. It's closedloopsys.com, right, sir? Yes, sir. All right, be well, everybody, and get out and don't hide from the snow. Get out and enjoy it. Until next time.